search of meaning. Hello and welcome to this first episode of the In Search of Meaning podcast. I am Ethan and I'm Julia and we are here uh, to discuss our first subject which is uh, which is why is it so complicated to understand each other? So basically we're talking about languages. Yes, we're going to talk about language. Okay, and where would you like to start? From our experience. Okay, let's start from our experience. Well, I think it's very interesting because of... Uh, well, you have a very different experience uh, to languages than I have. So I have been more of a empirical learner i mean i've learned spanish and english the same way like not knowing almost the grammar at all but you have learned english mostly russian like learning mostly all the rules well i would disagree here because every native language speaker learns language as an uh, empirical learner and that they teach us in school the grammar and the rules of Russian doesn't mean that I learn language by that. When I go to school, when I'm seven, I already know the language. Do you, do you feel there's a difference between learning the language like totally empirical and learning the language, let's say, when you're in your 30s or tw late 20s, when you are like instructed to learn it and not, and not learn it in, like, in an empirical way? Um, yeah, sure, but uh, it also depends on the way how to learn it, because there are different ways of teaching language, and if you learn it uh, by books, or if you learn it by watching videos on YouTube, or if you learn it by listening to music, your, um, your language is going to be different, your ways of expressing things will be different. Very interesting. And I, I remember um, you were once uh, studying a little bit of uh, Sanskrit. And, uh, well, I'm not an expert at all, but I find very interesting how basically all the languages that we know now uh, came from this mother tongue. And how, how the people who spoke this mother tongue uh, perceived things and how these things came to be into some sort of vocalization of sounds. And I think it's very interesting. But is there any language right now that is based, like, that is the most based on the mother language? Um, I don't know. No, it would be interesting to know. All the languages that came from Indo-European uh Pra, pra language, like grand grand language, uh -huh. uh, they all inherited some features of the language. For example, uh, you can find similarities in Sanskrit and in Russian grammars. Uh -huh. And you can find similarities in um, numbers, because, well, numbers and how to say mom and dad and very basic stuff around you uh, are similar in languages and sometimes very unexpectedly similar. Uh, for example, uh, to count from one to two in Sanskrit 
to count from one to two in Sanskrit. Um, Uh, you say uh, one will be eka, two will be dwi, uh, three will be tri, four will be katur, uh, five will be panka, uh, six will be sas, uh, seven will be sapta, uh, eight will be asta, nine will be nava, and ten uh, will be dasa or dasha. Um, I'm very bad with pronouncing, uh, but uh, you can see this pattern of uh, sounds, um, like Russian two, which is dva, goes very similar to Sanskrit dvi. But for example, uh, katur, uh, which is four, I think it's very similar to Spanish for catorce. Right? Cuatro. Cuatro. Cuatro or catorce, well, oh. they have the similar uh, main part of the word. For example, uh-huh. sapta, which is seven, is... Uh, siete. Siete, or sas, which is six, uh, which is six in... Uh, oh. Well, you can also make, like, a correlation between seven uh, sapta being, like, September. Because of, uh, well, before <laughs> before they changed the month because of the Roman emperors, uh, each month represented like numerical, like December is supposed to be the 10th month. Tenth. Which you can see here, which is da sa da sha, is also 10. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, we, so we have the, the, the main idea that uh, this uh, very, very ancient language, which we have saved till uh, nowadays, um, shows this very deep similarities in languages. And if you uh, try to dig deeper, as scientists and linguists do, you find out much, much more similar similar, similar things. But still, uh, even though very deep and base languages are similar, uh, it's like they... It's like you take seeds of one flower and then you bring them to different grounds and in different ground there uh, grows a different flower, a little bit different because of the circumstances. Uh, and it's like mutating over times. And I think that what happened. Well, not going very deep into scientific theories, but that's what happened. Mm-hmm. The seed of uh, similar, the seed of one Grand grand language was brought to different grounds, and then it grew to be very different, uh, with a lot of meanings, different words, and mm-hmm. etc. Uh, I was uh, reading a little bit, like trying to to <laughs> know a little bit more what to say about this topic, and I found something very interesting, which was that there are some tribes in the Amazons which don't have numbers, like in their in their own language there is no sense of num- of one two or three things they worked without numbers and so if they go gathering and they recollect like fruits or meat or something they classify it as few or a lot and um i was reading that it's quite a big problem for them because well, yeah, they, they can know when something is few and when something is more, but not being able to make this calculation in this language form of numbers uh, really, really makes them 
get lost and not to under, understand like more complicated stuff because uh, one thing that is very interesting is that now uh, as modern humans I think we have language especially numbers very attached to our heads like what time is it how much money do we have um, how many things do we possess like uh, how many chips you have left on the bag for example like just things that are very normal to us but some civilizations have like no idea the concept of the number of, of the numbers and brings up the question which of well how can language really mold your reality uh well actually there are two um theories i would just separate the linguistic reality into two uh, main uh, uh, ideas like concepts first that language forms our uh, language in influences our conscious or our conscious influences the language so does the language uh, get formed by our consciousness or does our consciousness get formed by language and well um getting a little bit back to few and many i was also reading about that and um there is this um, pattern in all the languages that before and uh well initially there were three um the, the this number in the calculation of the objects around you was divided into three it was one when there's only one <laughs> thing two and many just mm -hmm. like one to many and and some languages still uh preserved uh, this uh, way of thinking, this way of calculating. And Sanskrit, for example, had it. Uh, Russian had it before, too. Um, and I was reading about one language that was, like, artificially created by the by, by Sonia Lang. And this language is called Tokipona, and it has only 123 words. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, those people who learn it, they think that it's enough to express basically any idea. Like, you don't need too many words to express any idea. And this language also has this, uh, I would say, triple uh, system of numbers. It's one, two, and many. Mm -hmm. And like, and some mathematicians are saying, but I need to express, uh, I need to have a way to say 7,743.23. Mm -hmm. And her argument is like, is it really the point? Mm -hmm. um, so... So basically, they live more uh, like a utilitarian way, like they only have what they need. Yeah, they only have what they need, and they say that uh, it brings more honesty to what you say. They, it brings, uh, it, it, it makes things simpler, and if there are some things that you cannot describe in a simple way, then you basically don't know anything about these things, because everything is very simple, they say. Mm -hmm. Oh, which that reminds me of what uh, Einstein said about uh, understanding something. He said, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I'm paraphrasing. 
if you cannot explain what you know to you, the way that your grandmother understands it, then you really don't understand it. So like in a sense, if you can make some, if you can simplify an idea that somebody can understand it, that means that you really understand that idea. And so it is possible to have a very simple language and to explain very complicated stuff. Or do you think that we necessarily need more um, complicated words? Because for example, uh, I can I can compare myself to myself a few years ago. And uh, before I started to read into psychology and to philosophy and everything. And if I didn't know all those concepts, one word wouldn't make like a lot of sense. So, for example, just the word like symbolic. Like if you told me the word symbolic when I was... I don't know, like 20 years old, I would understand it in a totally different way than if you told me what is symbolic now. And it's, the word just stays the same. And maybe the context can say the same, like movies are symbolic. But now that I have gained like a lot of knowledge throughout the years, somehow like the meaning of the word just made more, like was more filled with meaning and now a simple sentence just became more and more complicated which is very interesting what do you think about that so you're basically saying that um you now have much deeper have much deeper understanding of uh of the word symbolic that you had like six years ago, right? Yeah. So let's say if we if we would put you twenty years old and you twenty six years old, you wouldn't understand each other. If you if you would be saying the same very words mm-hmm. to each other, you would mean you would be meaning different things, right? Well, yeah, but no, <laughs> because of uh, I think there is a margin which you can improve like the understanding of a word. Like for example, if you talk to a little kid about the word sacrifice, he would he would think about sacrifice. Mm, okay, I will not eat this to eat ice cream. That's a sacrifice for him. But if you talk about like with an old man about what sacrifice is, like because all his experiences, this new, well, this the same word comes like, is full of more meaning and so the sacrifice spoken by this old uh wise man is totally different than if if it's told by a small child and that's what i mean so of course if i talk to myself in 20 years and if i talk to with the same words um Maybe I could understand it, but I will be losing a lot of pieces between the words that if it's just one word, but if you imagine like an entire paragraph, how many things you would not understand just because you don't have the experience or knowledge about the world. Well, yeah, and that's 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 a problem because people have different backgrounds. They uh, often don't get 
to understanding. Uh, and the more um, ways of expressing one idea you have, the more complicated it will be for you to understand. It's like if language would be a corridor, and uh, if it's a narrow corridor, meaning like the language with not many ways to express things, uh, and people are walking in this corridor towards each other, and one person uh, tries to bring uh, an idea, and another person tries to understand it. In a narrow corridor, it's harder to get split. Uh, to go different directions. But if a corridor is very wide uh, and one person trying to uh, bring an idea, let's say, goes closer to the uh, wall that is on the right of him and another person trying to get this meaning is also walking in this corridor on the, uh, on the opposite wall, closer to the opposite wall, they will never get to the understanding, they will just Lo uh, they will just miss. They will. They, they will not bump into each other. So and uh, what? Coming back to the idea of this 123 words language, Tokipona, uh, it's easier to 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 bring to bring the idea because you have much much less ways of expressing it. And uh, the other hand, in Russian, Russian has a lot of ways of expressing, and it's much bigger than just different words. Because, for example, English dictionary has more words than Russian dictionary. But Russian grammar allows uh, to express um, to add very very subtle contexts and meanings to the sentence. And if you say words in one order, it will mean one thing. If you say words in a little bit different order, it will mean the same thing, but in a, in a different, with a different style, let's say, which will say to a receiver something about you. Uh, and if you change it uh, in the third way, it will mean a different thing already in a different style. So, and in English doesn't allow that uh, because of its grammar, for example. And that's why it's easier to learn first. It's easier for people to understand each other, even having different backgrounds and contexts. That second, uh, so there, there are the reasons why English became uh, this uh, world language. Mm -hmm. mm. Yes, but still, I think that um, having just 100 words and having 170,000 words are just... Or, for example, in Korean dictionary, there's one million words. Uh, it's just like extremes and, um, you know, living in extremes and getting close to extremes has never been a very, very good idea. Yeah, of course. So, do you... Continue. Uh, uh, sorry, there was, there was, there's one more interesting thing that I wanted to add about this 123 words language. Um, they say that they can uh, express words by just combining them. For example, they have seven words for colors, which is like, if I remember co correctly, red, yellow, blue, uh, light, dark, and something else. And for example, if you want to say pink, you say uh, no, 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 not light, dark, white, white, black. If you want to say pink, you say white, uh, white red. Mm -hmm. And that means pink. So you're like doing the action of combining the colors in real life, but in language. Yes. Or if you want to say a car, you say it like, uh, like a moving vehicle. 
mm-hmm. like or a vehicle for movement. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're talking about a context that you want to travel from one city to another, if you're talking about a car in the context that it bumped into you, you're talking like about a car is about a thing that bumped you that like that you that crashed you mm-hmm. and it's like depending on the context you use different uh descriptions uh to to express the idea but what it actually does is very similar to the processes that happened in all the languages that we had before like take for example german it has this long long words which consist of five six other words describing like like more simple and then they end up to describe a more complicated thing so uh, this language doesn't really aim what the creator maybe wanted to do and with the numbers again they say that they have one two and many and that's enough but people started to describe things like for example they started to describe five using a word that they used for a hand or something but that's exactly what happened in slavic languages mm-hmm. before uh, talking about amounts and length length and width they used also words that referred to their body parts and then language because it really needed some ways to express more and express deeper uh had to develop its own different means of expressing this mm-hmm. so it's like tokipona yes it has 123 words but this 123 words uh getting combined in evolution if it was a real language uh like in years would would change dramatically that's my idea and well there's not many so many people who who know it and who who, who speak it but i think there, if, if it was like some uh, language with a cultural background that it, it would be changing and it would change somehow in something more complicated throughout this time i i see this uh, language some sort of a a memory i guess a reflection of uh, a proto language mm-hmm. like our own proto language because well in our own words uh we have etymology and etymology is based like uh like photography like photos it comes from the greek Light. light yeah and so we are basically also combining words but because we have advanced uh, and worked with it for so many years then we don't think about it anymore or it doesn't seem to be as simplified as moving car but if you really deconstruct the the words you can find the the source of where the word the word comes from, and that's what a lot of people do to find the real meaning between in literature or poetry or even just anthropological studies. And uh, I think it's very interesting to to see and to experience how our own language has changed and how somehow uh, in this crazy world we have been able to to at least try to understand each other because uh well i've been uh, living in russia now for for two years and my russian is very basic and it's very interesting how like we i can communicate with some russians mm-hmm. and I realized the difficulty, the difficult to 
communicate between something that has no way of communicating in that sense. And then when I talk to somebody who speaks Spanish or who speaks English, and I want to also communicate like this very, very complicated idea, sometimes that complicated idea doesn't even pass through. The person doesn't even understand it. And so it's like this two sides of the table, which is like, you, you you can get basic understanding with body language and basic words uh, for your needs in just like simple forms, but also even in, with your own people and with your own language, when you get into more complex subjects, just words start to get loose a little bit and become very, very, very slight problems because then the whole meaning of the entire conversation can just go to the trash. And me being a person who loves to, to debate, maybe now less than before. One of the problems that I always saw was that people didn't know what they meant. So they would say an argument and they would tell, mm, let, me, let me think of an example. Um, well, I can't think of an example right now, but they would say something. And, uh, of course he would interpret this sentence and these words as he's, his own experience has. And then I would do it differently. Maybe I got my reference down at a dictionary or a book. And then we were dis we were discussing like basically whole different things camouflaged by the same word. And then until you ask like, wait a minute, why do you mean f for that word? And you realize that he means totally an entire different thing, like God, how for God, you, for somebody, God can be potential for another person. God is literally a man in disguise. Um, and how for other people, God represents totally different things. And so I think it's very important to be clear in order to communicate uh, with other people and even with yourself in that sense to be clear of what you mean because when you're clear on the meaning of your words then you are some sort of very clear in your mind and you can evoke your ideas better do you have any comment on that? Um, what you said uh, before, you <laughs> had a quite long monologue um, about body language. Uh, in this Takipono language, they, they use body language much more because, for example, they don't have ways of expressing politeness. They don't have words for thanks or please, mm -hmm. because I think it's too much. Like you, if you want uh, a person to give you um, a sauce from the other part of the table, you just can tell, give me the sauce without, would you be so kind, please, to give me the sauce? Because, well, it's just extra. This, mm -hmm. all this politeness, like, why do we actually need it if we can, if we just, if what we actually need is the sauce and you either give it or not. Mm -hmm. So you either ask for giving the sauce or you don't ask for giving the sauce without it. Would you be so kind? Blah, blah, blah. Well, but I think that that's because of the kind of negotiating. Like when you say thank you, you thank the the possibility of the other to negotiate with you. Because it's like if I have something of value, 
like I have grapes and you have chicken uh, for for you he's like that man has grapes like thinking as an old tribe why would he give his grapes he's like what he eats and I would be the same thinking the same about you with chicken but if we make like okay what about if I give you 10 kilograms of grapes and you would give me one chicken you're like okay and so we do this that trade which is like the same as pass something I guess um, I think the thank you comes from the thankfulness of something extra from us that agrees. So it's like, oh, thank you for being like civil in some sense. And so I think that's why, well, a little bit out of topic, how thanks like came into the world because it was some sort of honor to, for civility. Well, yeah, but I'm not talking about this um, basic politeness, mm -hmm. maybe, because the uh, users, users, uh, weird word, uh, those who speak, uh, speakers, uh, talk upon a speaker say that it's very weird not to thank a person. So that's why they use a body language, like mm -hmm. to, to move their heads or somehow, mm -hmm. or to... Bow. Yes. Hey, perfect. I have a um, small quote from Carl Jung about language, which I would like to read. And maybe you would have to say something about it. I really like it. Um, and it goes like this. Language, in its origin and essence, is simply a system of signs or symbols that denote real occurrences or their echo in the human soul. Quite deep, I would say. <laughs> Quite deep. Yeah. Um, can I can I can I read it, please? Yeah, sure. Uh -huh. Um, I really like this because, well, uh, we always think about how reality molds our language and how we mold our brains with language, like the thing we talked about numbers and how they couldn't think a lot because they were kind of limited. But uh, I, this phrase uh, lets me to think kind of the inversion of that, like within our minds. Because sometimes uh, when we're talking about emotions, for example, we feel so much that you cannot express it. And so there's this phrase that is like, I cannot say it in words. And it's like this, this comment of Carl Jung of the human soul is like this kind of either tra also translation of our own psyche, of our own feelings and our own emotions into something that can be more mm, understandable for other people. Um, yeah, so... I will just repeat the phrase. Language in its origin and essence is simply a system of signs or symbols that denote real occurrences of their echo in the human soul. So what is he saying basically uh, is that language originated as a system of signs to uh, express what you have inside. Yes, and I agree with this. But um 
later it evolved to um, it's it evolved that much there is somehow language became this this um, a little bit separated being because I sometimes I think of language as a, like a monster and it's like 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 not a monster like huge uh, I mean a uh, scary thing but like this uh, big big independent creature that it always that always moves and sometimes even unexpected does unexpected things because first people created languages to express uh, something go that goes deep from their souls uh, and that they want that that goes from there so bright that they want to uh, express it outside to get them from inside to the outside but since they took it outside it started its own life which is called social context and uh, here we come to one very um, I find it very cool theory uh, of Wittgenstein, um, a scientist, a philosopher, uh, whose latest studies he came to, he came from studies of philosophy to more studies of the language of the philosophy of the language, and he argues that the meaning of a word is determined by its use, not by its definition. I mean, like, meaning isn't defined by definition, but meaning is uh, determined by use mm -hmm. and not uh, by some kind of abstract connection between reality and language. And meanings of the words are not fixed or limited. They may be vague, variable, but, but still useful. And it's like the other day when I said, what did I describe as a monster? Oh, I remember. We were... Uh... You, you, you talked something about a monster and I uh, re read it as something negative. You read it as something negative and scary, but what I meant was that it's big. And yeah. we found both definitions in, in the Oxford Dictionary saying that uh, describing thing as a monster, you can mean both. You can mean uh, uh, something scary and creepy, or at the other hand, you can mean just something huge, like enormously big. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I used the word by the second definition, and you understood the word by the first definition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, um, which is connects to what we were talking before about how if you start to just argue and talk about with somebody without stating like basic definitions, or at least letting the other person know what you're talking about, like, hey, monstrous is something bad, okay? So, okay, I saw this monstrous thing, and so I think it's very important. Not, of course, it's not necessary to define every word when you're speaking, but to have the intelligence, I would say, to know which words can be very troublesome and to say like, okay, I know this word may be perceived as something good and something bad, so I have to either give more context or explain what I mean by it. Uh, yeah, because uh, well, well, yeah, it's, it it happens because of because of the context. Because uh, I agree with uh, Wittgenstein in that uh, language is a context thing, and uh, when you just learn uh, words in school, and um, you you don't um, if you just simply 
uh, learn by heart meaning of a word, like what that what cat means in your own language, uh, it it won't give you the full experience of the language anyway. And that's why contextual learning of the language is much more uh, efficient in that sense. What about, like, for example, the use of metaphors? Oh, there is, uh, there is, there is the whole book which is called "The Metaphors We Are Living By" or something like that, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken, uh, which actually describes how we how we use metaphors in our real life, even without understanding that this is a metaphor. But that's that may be a, a different talk. <laughs> can, can you give an example? I'm curious. Um, like like working like a dog, like the, the Beatles song. Yeah. And I'm working like it's, a dog. Yes, it's a, it's a book by uh, George Lakoff and Mark Jones, and it was published uh, in 1980. Um, I, I believe it's true. I believe um, inside our own conversations, we can find a lot of metaphorical, symbolic, and even analogies that we make without even really, really noticing them. And uh, that if you really analyze other people's speech, you can notice all the connections between what they're saying. And sometimes they're really not talking about something literal, something they just talk in a very metaphoric way but you understand it so well that you don't even have to think that it's a metaphor uh well i came with an example um of a metaphor uh for example uh well they, they build these concepts of the words and for example um argument perceived in um, in the context by people as a war because uh, for example, when they say your claims are indefensible or he attacked every weak point in my argument or I demolished his argument. Oh. So <laughs> it's it's like we take this war words and we put them into the uh, debates, into the arguments. Uh -huh. And that shows how we perceive uh, how we perceive this whole process of of making argumentation and defending ourselves yeah uh for example or time is money and it's um it's not just something that we say uh meaning that the more you work the more money you get or something it's just also expressed by language for example uh you're wasting my time uh and you're wasting my money it's the same meaning of the word waste or for oh. example that flat that flat tire cost me an hour mm -hmm. so and you're basically cost it's it's about money right mm -hmm. it's uh, about something material but still we use it talking about time mm -hmm. and you bring a very interesting point because uh there's been like this great era of ai right now and how well we try to teach language and how we try to teach ai to understand humans but something that personally I don't see very like viable is the ability to an AI to really understand when comprehend in a deep way the human language because 
it's a, it's quite complicated process. If you think about all these metaphors, if you just insert all these metaphors into an artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. the artificial intelligence just wouldn't understand what it meant. And of course, you can you can teach the artificial intelligence or train it, and that's a better word, uh, to try to get the context of things. And if they're talking about money and you sort of talk about this phrase about time is money to understand what it means. But the thing is that the human expression and the human language are so variable and so easy to change and to understand because it's like alive. Like you said, it's like this being who took its own life and it grows by itself. It's very hard to create something that can understand it completely. If we aren't even able to understand our own language sometimes, uh, it's very hard for me to imagine how an artificial intelligence will. Um, Yeah, and there is this problem with um, machine translators, uh, which like you put the word in one meaning, with one context, and then the machine translates it understanding the other context. And uh, first they tried to teach the machine the old definitions of the word, but still how can the machine recognize which exactly definition you mean, if not by the context? And that's why uh, we um, linguists decided to create this whole corpuses of war, of language and uh, there are uh, whole da- databases of uh, all the texts ever written in in one or another language for example the corpus of russian contains a lot of texts and for example if you want to know in which context the word was used um, before more often and in which context it is used now. For example, uh, nervous in English before meant strong. And now, well, we all know what it means now. Uh-huh. Uh, or the words, the word for bitch in Russian. Before it meant a female dog. Uh, and it was used as a female dog. But then it grew to be an offensive word and its use changes. Um, yeah, that's... Yeah, words change, like, in time and also geographically. Like, for example, there's this word in Spanish, which is pendejo, which is, like, asshole. But in Argentina, it means, like, kids. So <laughs> well, we, we have, like, those completely different meanings. And if, of course, it's the same language, but if you go like from Mexico to Argentina and you just uh, walk down the street and see an old lady call some kids like pendejos, it's like, oh my God, she's so rude. Well, actually, she's just being like her normal self, trying to, to tell the kids. So it's very fascinating how something so basic that we use every day can just be interpreted and misinterpreted in so many ways. Yes, and that's um, that's what we talked first about languages growing from one seed in different grounds. 
and another that we talked about languages having uh, a lot of uh, means of expression or less means of expression. For example, there is this languages of Pirachia or something like that, uh, which has the simplest known kinship system of human culture. Kinship is um, interrelations in, in, in family. Uh, they have only one word, meaning mother and father, like a parent, but without uh, gender uh, alternatives. And um, they don't go further in, in uh, naming relationship uh, than biological siblings. So it's basically, imagine there's no way in language to call, to, to name somehow your cousin or to name somehow um, sister of your grandmother's uncle. <laughs> I don't know. And it, I mean, it makes it easier to learn all of it, right? But um, it's like for these people, it doesn't exist. Okay. And that proves this a little bit this theory of Sephir uh, Worf uh, that claims that structure of the language affects speaker's worldview. Uh, for example, this language of Pirachia uh, doesn't have any specific words for colors. Uh, they have just light and dark. And if they want to refer some color, they would say like something like blood if they want to refer red. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, the concept of red is abstract, and when you read and, and and when you name something something red, you don't refer to blood. But imagine them talking about something referring to blood, and in its uh, own uh, way, blood refers to cruelty, to wounds, to killing, and something else. Mm -hmm. So just imagine how how many um, associational meanings can this non-existence of an abstract threat bring to the conversation of these people that they have or do they even do they even uh feel this relations between like more distant relatives than siblings do they even take them as relatives or no because here for example uh, uh, I don't know. I know that uh, in Mexico people are very, very like have big families, and you consider very, very distant relatives to be part of your family. But these people in these tribes, they barely understand that they are even their relatives. They, they, they barely understand that they are family. So the meaning of the, their understanding of what family is is super different uh, from uh, the understanding of family in Mexico and. Um, and that's and that's just one example of how language can alter your reality. There were some studies about people's perception of uh, of colors uh, from uh, people from different speaking different languages uh, closer to our reality, uh, speaking for example Russian and English. Because in English you don't have different words for light blue and dark blue. You just have blue. And then it comes light and dark blue. But in Russian, there are two different words. There's no one word for blue. 
and uh, they they had um, experiments, and this experiment showed that people who have more ways of describing the color, for example, Russians who have a different word for light blue, голубой, and different word for dark blue, синий, they can identify this uh, shades of blue <laughs> or gray, <laughs> the shades of blue more uh, better than people that don't have this name, this uh, words in their language, uh-huh, uh-huh. and that's also proves this theory that our language, which was somehow, which was once a way to express your inner soul, came to be this separate being influencing us, not us influencing the language. And that's, and that's uh, what it makes it even harder to express what you want to express, because you're no longer expressing it from, from deep inside, you also need to uh, correspond to what it means from the outside already if you and if you don't take it into consideration you're gonna say uh, you're gonna uh, say something something stupid for example for russians it's very very weird that in english uh to say that you feel you don't need to use myself and if you say i feel myself well as far as i know it means to masturbate (laughs) like if you say today i'm feeling myself bad and for Russian, that would mean just I feel myself, I, I just would mean I feel bad, because in Russian you need to use this uh, this grammatical or vocabulary uh, way to show that, 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 that this action is happening to you. But in English you don't need to do it, and that creates these troubles uh, with understanding and intercorrelation between languages. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> wow. Super interesting, Phil. I have to stop you right there because I want to make a little pause to remind uh, to everybody who is listening that uh, each podcast we are getting your questions, like the questions about the next subject. And you can ask whatever you find interesting or intriguing about the subject. And we will try to somehow answer the questions with our own opinions or knowledge and to talk about it. So next uh, next week's subject is going to be? Next week's subject is going to be uh, our connection with the body, connection of body and mind and stuff. Perfect. And so this week uh, we have a question from Cynthia and uh, she talks about uh, something which we already mentioned a little bit which is, can you pronounce it? Uh, Wittgenstein's theory. <laughs> which, it, uh, her basic question is, um, if the ability to know more languages can make you approximate or have better precision of reality because you know more words, you can describe more with the words that you have. Mm, can you repeat the question, please? Yeah, like um, if 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 you know a lot of languages, mm-hmm. does that make the person who knows a lot of languages capable of understanding better reality? Because knows different uh, definitions of different things and different ways of seeing and reading things. Well, I would say, as I personally feel it, that it wouldn't change your relations with the reality that much. Because if you really, really try hard, 
maybe for somebody not that hard, you can catch yourself, you can catch your own mind uh, on um, on experiences even before you have a word for that. For example, like any uh, time you want to say and express something, you have this idea deep in your mind, not like still not formed with words. You have it just as an idea, as a, as a pure idea without words, as a concept, as a feeling. And then like very, very immediate uh, because of, because we learn languages since we are very small, y- this abstract idea somehow transforms to, um, uh, somehow, somehow transforms to the language and then you express it to a person. But when you know a lot of languages, you just can have more ways of expressing this idea. You you, you take this abstract nonverbal uh, exp- uh, feeling from your from deep inside of your mind, and you um, can try to bring this idea to a person in like different ways because you know how to play with this feeling like in, in, in more ways. But for example, if you are trying to form this idea in the way that English person would form it, doing it in Russian for a Russian person, there's less possibility that this Russian person will understand your English formed idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, 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 if it makes sense. <clears throat> but uh, your uh, uh, experience of reality I guess doesn't change that much in the very, very basic uh, layer. It starts to change when you try to bring these ideas to words, maybe. And you maybe even start to perceive it differently when you try to change, uh, when you try to form it into words. But before this transformation of experience to words happens, you still have some feeling, something like inside of you, which is non-verbal. I would, well, in my opinion, uh, I would say that knowing more languages, yes, it will make you perceive uh, reality more realistically, ironically, but um, it's not just the idea of knowing more languages. It's expanding your own vocabulary because if you know a lot of languages and you know like the basics well you're just the same as you just knew one language but if you start to go deep into the languages then you learn learn more words and you start to go beyond the basics and to learn more words it's to understand more complicated concepts And that's where, when you somehow know that this concept exists, then you can name it. And when you name it, it somehow you give a validity to it. And you can do it in whatever language you want. But what I think is crucial is that when you know other languages, it's very important to understand the culture and their reality. Because the word family in Mexico could have the same literal definition as the word family in Russia or in China. But the cultural implications 
of what that word means are different. And so knowing the different context of the word uh, of the word in different cultural backgrounds will help you understand the culture more. So there are just different ways of interpreting like the party. But a party, of course, in Russia or in Mexico is not going to be the same, even though it's going to be named after the same word. And that would be my perspective. And we thank you for the question. You have anything else to comment? Um, well, I just wanted to, I just remember this funny example uh, that once one Russian uh, writer and uh, poet uh, created this uh, cross crossword quiz mm-hmm. uh, where he had like a, about 30 definitions of the words which don't exist. Like, for example, uh, uh, he had something like spots of ink that appear in your pocket and you like you have the feeling of it yes you experience it yes you had it but then you and and it and it feels that there must be a word for this but there's just no word there's this cool dictionary it's online i don't remember the exact name it's the dictionary of the sorrows or something like that well it has the words and their definition of unimaginable things. Like, the moment you feel fear when you see, I don't know, the sunset, they have like this word. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, very interesting and very, very poetic just to know that there are people just creating new words for specific moments and just, I don't know, I just feel they're very beautiful words. Uh, well, you don't even need to go that far for words that people create artificially. You can just go to another language with which which have uh, words for uh, some phenomena uh, that other languages don't. Uh, for example, there is a word Schadenfreude in German, which means the joy you feel at another person's pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like those words. <laughs> yes, like that, but it doesn't exist in English, for example, or, or either in Russian. We call it psychotic. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, we're not calling German language to be psychotic. Uh, we're just uh, reminding you of our next uh, topic for discussion, which is connection of body and mind, or your interrelations with your body, and we are welcoming you to send us questions, which we will try to discuss, uh, not pretending to give the only uh, truthful answer. Uh, and we'd like to thank to everybody who just st- stuck up and listened to us for this whole time. And well, if you like it, you can just leave us a comment, we'll read it. And we hope to see you next time. To get you here. To get you, to get you hear us. To get you hear us next time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. In search of meaning.